now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 261, and today we are talking about books being released on May 26, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Patricia Elsie Tuttle, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello! Hello! How's everything going? Well, I'm not as cranky as I was last week, <laughs> but unfortunately for you, because you are on the West Coast and we are recording late at night on my coast... I'm highly caffeinated, <laughs> which you've already heard some of before we started recording. So I'm just so tired. I just got to the end of the day and I'm like, I need caffeine to get through the show. <laughs> I've had to make a rule for myself, like no caffeine after 3 p.m. Like it's yeah. literally always a bad idea for me and the rule's in place for a reason. I mean, I break it, but then I'm like, that's why you have your own rule. <laughs> that's what being an adult is about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, since I gave up Red Bull for like the seventh or eighth time, I've been drinking chai tea. But now, since I've been in the house and the world is horrible, I've just been drinking the concentrate straight from the bottle. <laughs> oh so I think that's a lot more caffeine, probably. We've been making entire instant pots full of sweet tea. So mm -hmm. we put like four tea bags in there at a time and make a whole pitcher at a time. And then usually done with a pitcher of tea in like mm, two or three days. So that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Um. So I'm highly caffeinated. You're three hours behind me. The sun yep. is still out where you are. Absolutely. <laughs> These are the things that are happening. And we're going to talk about books, which is what we're here for. And lots of fun. I like books. I like books. I'll just say, I've been saying this every week, but I'll say it again. We are recording this on May 20th. Yes, Wednesday, May 20th. Uh, so as of right now, these books are coming out today, but the dates do change. So we're sorry if that happens. As of right this moment, these books are coming out next Tuesday. Or today, if you're listening to this the day it comes out. So having said that, uh, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of Anita De Monte Laughs Last by Sochil Gonzalez. So this is one of my most anticipated books of the year. It follows two women of color who are in the art world, but who also kind of sit outside of it because of a lack of privilege. So the story is told from both of their perspectives and it moves back and forth through time. So in 1985, Anita DeMonte is a rising star in the art world and she's found dead in New York City, right? And then in 1998, Raquel, a third-year art history student, becomes involved with an older, more privileged art student and finds herself rising up the social ranks as a result. But then she also stumbles upon Anita's story and she sees parallels between Anita's story and her own. So Anita DeMonte Laughs Last is a propulsive, witty examination of power, 
make sure to pick it up. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of Anita DeMonte Laughs Last by Sochil Gonzalez for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by William Morrow. I'll be dead in three months. Come tell my story. Imagine someone told you that. That's what Sebastian Trapp, a reclusive mystery novelist, told to his longtime correspondent Nikki Hunter, an expert in detective fiction. So with only a few months left to live, Trapp invites Nikki to his spectacular San Francisco mansion to help draft his life story, living alongside his beautiful second wife, Diana, his wayward nephew, Freddie, and his protective daughter, Madeline. But soon, Nikki finds herself caught in an irresistible case of real-life detective fever. Make sure to pick up End of Story by New York Times bestselling author A.J. Finn for a book that gives Knives Out, that gives White Lotus. You'll like this if you like books by Lucy Foley, Nita Prose, and others. So make sure to pick it up, check it out, and thanks again to William Morrow for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so my first book is so good, and it's not a sequel, but it does include characters from uh, previous books, and oh my goodness, it's so good. It is The Enigma Game by Elizabeth Ween. Uh, she is returning to her codename Verity and Pearl Thief storylines. These books destroyed me. Oh my goodness. I feel like they are very similar to Kate Atkinson's Life After Life and uh, God of God and Ruins, um, which were my two favorite Kate, Kate Atkinson's books. Elizabeth Ween writes historical World War II fiction just like Kate Atkinson. The details are amazing. These books are so intricately detailed. She does so, so, so much research. I was reading about this. Just so much research about World War II to write these stories. And if you've never read Codename Verity, like, you don't have to have read Codename Verity or The Pearl Thief to enjoy this book. It just features some characters that were in the other books. Um, especially Codename Verity. I had never read a YA book like that um, before, and it just destroyed me. It's so fantastic. And this one is about a teenage girl named Louisa. She is living in Scotland. She has lost her parents in the war. It's, you know, World War II. And she's got a job taking care of an elderly German woman. And while she's in Scotland, a German pilot lands and hides an Enigma machine, which uh, she doesn't know what it is, of course, when she finds it. But then, you know, we discover it's an Enigma machine. And Louisa finds it, and she has a chance to meet Ellen, who is a volunteer Royal Air Force driver, and Jamie. Jamie is from uh, Codename Verity. He is a fighter, bomber pilot. He is the flight leader uh, of the squadron. And she tells them about this machine, and they realize, like, Jamie has been hearing these weird messages. He doesn't know what they are. And now, like, they might possibly hold the key to helping turn the tide of the war, helping, you know, their side win the war um, if they can figure out this code. But the other thing is that the enemy is aware that they are in possession of this and they are in danger because of that. So it's told through several different perspectives. And not only does it, you know, touch on the war, but it also covers racism and homophobia at that time. Louisa, her parents were white and Jamaican. And it's just, oh... This book is so thrilling. When I read a book like this, I wonder why we ever 
came up with the term young adult because it's just for everybody. And some sometimes I read books and I'm like, these teenagers are way too smart and they would never behave like this. But it's not true at all. Like, we send people to fight at the age of 18. I mean, teenagers are definitely this mature and this smart. And sometimes I think, like, by labeling things, why we don't give them enough credit. And this book is just, it's, have I said how much I love these books yet? It's just so good. It's called The Enigma Game, and it is by Elizabeth Ween. So for my first book, I have something completely different. This is titled Fairest by Meredith Toulousen. And I am a fan of Meredith Toulousen's writing on the internet, and so I was really excited to see that she has this book coming out. Meredith Toulousen is an openly transgender woman who is also an albino Filipina. This is her memoir, most of which is about her life pre-transition as a child in the Philippines and then as an openly gay man at Harvard. While at Harvard, though, she wasn't necessarily openly Filipina, just a quick note before I continue. I'll be using her current pronouns, but will refer to her using the words she uses for herself frequently throughout the book, such as gay man, boy, and albino. The book is not linear. It jumps around time periods from present day to 25 years ago when she was in college to another 15, 20 years prior when she was growing up in the Philippines. So it starts with talking about the cultural belief among many Filipinas is that a baby would become whatever whatever the mother craved while she was pregnant. An example the author gives is if a mother craved sugar while pregnant, then the baby would turn out sweet. And they warned against spending too much time in the sun or else the baby would be born with albinism and that was frowned upon. But Toulousen's grandmother, however, refused that her newborn grandchild with albinism was anything other than a blessing. And I was very close to my grandmother, and I really appreciated the the parts of this story where she talks about her grandmother and the closeness, um, especially like Filipino grandchildren can have with their grandparents. But right away, readers learn about the colorism in our, in the Filipino community. And colorism, if you don't know, is when people of certain races with lighter skin tones are held in higher regard than people of that same race with darker skin tones. That's just the very quick version. So Toulousen's grandmother felt that because of her albinism, she would be able to blend right in in America with everyone else who was light-skinned and blonde and would therefore have a better life than her ancestors who were farmers and dark because of melanin, obviously, and generations as farmers. And myself, as a mixed dark-skinned Filipina, this was a bit hard for me to read. I remember as a child going into our little local Filipino market and seeing the shelf of all the skin lightening toiletries. And I'm not talking about like Clinique brightening serum. I mean, like, I remember as a child seeing boxes just labeled like whitening soap. So for anyone who maybe has had these experiences, this book can be kind of a tough read for them. Toulousen is also very nearsighted and expertly conveys how this affects her experience moving through the world. Toulousen talks about hearing singer and actress Lea Salonga for the first time when she was around five years old and feeling that she wanted to be her or, or that she wouldn't mind being a girl if she was blessed with Salonga's voice. 
Toulousen tells her story from Catholic school in the Philippines to her time as a child actor, eventually emigrating to the U.S. with her parents when she was 15, and then eventually going to Harvard. There are so many intersecting tales in this single book. There's heartache, there is child abuse, there's passing as white, there's self-discovery and becoming her authentic self. She is so open and honest about her experiences and the decisions that she's made in her life and the emotions she's felt. It's a very raw memoir, and I'm really grateful for this addition to the growing collection of queer stories. Again, the title is Fairest by Meredith Toulousen. Okay. I am jumping back to another YA book. I'm very excited about this one. It is called Camp by L.C. Rosen. Uh, They are the author of Jack of Hearts and Other Parts. And it's also exciting because it was just announced that Camp has received a big movie deal and will be heading to the screen. You have to read closely now because sometimes it's like it being adapted, but so many books are being adapted for netflix and hbo it's like what's it gonna be several episodes or a movie um but i believe this one is going to be a film and i am excited because it's so so delightful it is about uh, camp outland which is a camp for queer teens and 16 year old randy has attended this camp before it's a summer camp and last year when he was there he fell for hudson however randy is very dramatic. He's into nail polish and glitter. He has unicorns on his sheets. And the boy that he has a crush on, Hudson, who in his mind is like the perfect guy. He's cute and he just must be the most amazing man, even though he doesn't really, like, really know him that well. He's like, it's like a, you know, 80s rom-com. He's like so into this guy. Hudson is really only into straight acting guys. And so he doesn't, return any of randy's attention or affection or even really know that he exists so randy is now returning to camp outland as a 16 year old and he but he has a new persona that he's going to try he wants instead of being randy he's going to be dell and he's given up all his glitter and his nail polish and his unicorn sheets and he's determined to make hudson fall for him and so he's changed his wardrobe he's changed the way that he walks and talks but you know as he goes along trying on this new persona, being Dell, he begins to wonder, is it real? Is it love real if you pretend to be someone else entirely for someone? And is it real love if they don't actually know who you are? This book is so great. Randy is such a delight. His friends are such a delight. They call him out for his ridiculous plan. And it's also about like the complexities of people and how much you don't know about somebody, even when you know them, and especially when you just like have a crush on somebody and think that they are going to be the perfect person. It's about toxic masculinity in the queer community, and it's about being true to yourself and what parts you choose to show and, you know, what you keep to yourself. I just, I love it so much. And I also, I always think this is so random, but there was a Growing Pains episode when I was a kid, which was only a couple years ago, um, about uh, this really, really beautiful girl that Kirk Cameron had a crush on. And he's just really wants to meet her at this dance. And then when he finally meets her, she has this like very high Minnie Mouse voice. And so all of a sudden he's no longer interested. And that's what this book made me think of. It reminded me of that episode. And also I was always so very disappointed that like he was so superficial on that show because he didn't like her voice. Anyway, that's just totally random reference that this book made me think of. Uh, but it's so good. I wish there were more 
um, YA novels like this. I mean, I know there will be. They're being written. Um, and, and again, like I said before about YA novels, it's a novel for everyone. I think, I think that, you know, straight teens will enjoy this just as much as queer teens. And I love that, you know, these books exist now. This one and, you know, Jack of Hearts and other parts. Uh, so this is Camp by Elsie Rosen. Ooh, all the queer books today. So my next book is The Ship We Built by Lexi Bean. This book was also, um, it's also a queer book. It's also a heavy book. Content warnings for molestation and incest, incarceration of a parent, and bullying. Yes, it's full of hard stuff, but that being said, this is a middle grade book. I do recognize that there are middle graders going through a lot of hard, heavy things right now, so I wouldn't necessarily shy away from this sort of content. This is fiction about our protagonist, a fifth grader whose parents and classmates call him Ellie, but through this book, he's discovering he's a boy and not the girl that everyone thinks he is. It's told in the first person via a series of letters with some drawings. Our protagonist lives in Michigan's Upper Peninsula in a former mining town. After his first day of fifth grade in 1997, he writes a letter to no one in particular and ties it to a balloon and lets it fly off. The letters are like diary entries in a way, and he confides all his secrets in these letters he sends off via balloon. He doesn't know where they go, or if anyone reads them, maybe God, maybe an angel, maybe someone local who he doesn't know and who just finds his balloon letters in a tree. Through the letters, we learn that all of Ellie's, I'm making air quotes, our protagonist's former friends are girls, and they have basically shunned him during the summer before the start of fifth grade. Being 10 was really hard for a lot of us, especially if we were different, and this book was painful and heartbreaking to read, especially around the bullying, but it was also a very beautiful book. Our protagonist does have one friend, Sophie, who is just like sunshine in a bottle. This book is about the power of having even just one person be your friend. How important that even just one person believes in you and sees you for who you really are. I also love that we are along for the journey as our protagonist tries out different names and, yes, has more questions than answers because sometimes that's how life is, especially when you're 10. This is yet another book I'm really happy to be add to the growing selection of queer literature for young people. And again, that title is The Ship We Built by Lexi Bean. Okay, I mentioned this book a few weeks ago because it was supposed to be coming out that day uh, when I did a quick little roundup, but it actually is now coming out uh, today. And so I had a chance to read it in between now and then, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about it because I thought it was really good. It is Hollywood Park, a memoir by Michael Gillette. And as I mentioned before, or if you did not hear the show, Michael Gillette is the lead singer of the unfortunately titled uh, band Airborne Toxic Event, um, who I only heard for the first time a few weeks ago or a couple months ago now. And uh, I absolutely loved them. And so I've been listening to them a lot. And so a lot of people say like I had a tough childhood or I had a you know messed up childhood, you know, myself included. But Michael Gillette had a very, very different childhood than most everyone. He was actually born into an experimental commune, uh, which started out as like a rehabilitation commune for drug addicts, but it turned into like this very sketchy, dangerous cult that became quite famous um, in California. And he was born into this cult. Uh, basically what happens is 
parents give up their babies at about six months of age and they're raised on the commune away from their parents um, in like almost like an orphanage. So this is what happened to Michael Gillette. Like he was he was born there. His brother was there, his older brother. And this was all that he knew. Uh, the book starts out. He's talking, uh, you know, as if he's it's like in the present tense and he's the child because he's was five years old when his mother who he barely knew because he was being raised by these other members of the commune shows up in the middle of the night and says we're leaving and you know i'm taking your brother and we're going to go live with your grandparents and he's like why you know like he doesn't understand what's happening he doesn't really know this woman but this is like a it's a terrible place like he doesn't realize you know he just knows like the cult leader is kind of erratic and he seems very angry all the time, uh, but there is a lot of physical and emotional abuse going on. And his mother says, let's go. And like, he's he's never even been in a car. He has seen a car occasionally, but like he's five years old. He's never been in a car. This is kind of exciting. He's getting in a car, but he's like, I want to say bye to my friends. I want to say bye to these people. And his older brother is even angrier, like wants to stay. And, you know, this is where his stuff is and he doesn't understand what's happening. and. It's heartbreaking and it's so strange to like think about, you know, this this commune and like he doesn't know his dad. Um, his dad has showed up occasionally um, riding a motorcycle, which he thinks is really cool. But his mom does not have like great things to say about his father. His parents are no longer together. So his mother just takes the kids. And so now he is living on the outside. He's living in his grandparents' house. But the upbringing that he has after that is is almost as unstable as it was in the commune. Um, he grows up in poverty. There is abuse in the house. His mother suffers from depression. And even though she took this step to rescue them from the commune, she is in no way prepared for their life after that and doesn't really interact with them all that much or do the necessary things that she she needs to take care of them. His older brother is angry all the time. His father is a sporadic presence in his life, but he's like his hero. He's just crazy about his dad when he gets to see him. There's a series of horrible stepdads. And so he grows up and he starts like committing small crimes and he develops a substance abuse problem because that is, you know, very common with people who grow up in these situations. And, you know, it's kind of about how, about how his life changed when somebody started playing music for him that he really identified with and really loved and and started getting into that and how he kind of like turned his life around and now he's the lead singer of this like amazingly huge band and his father uh passed away several years ago and he writes about like the grief uh, that he went through when that happened and this is kind of what started him thinking about writing this memoir was the death of his father and i thought it was a great a great read and certainly just so so interesting i mean very very different than than most childhoods you know that people experience um and as someone who grew up in poverty, it's interesting to me to read about, like, people's experiences, you know, because of the limits that are put on you because of it and the different emotional and physical effects that you suffer because of it. It's almost like reading a dystopian novel, really, like when you when you start it out, because it's, you know, cults are just so different than anything that we know of. It, you know, he's like talking about like all these people with their shaved heads and stuff. And it's just like, this could be a dystopian novel, like at the start here. Um, but it's his real life. Now he is a fully functioning adult and it's amazing and good for him. So this book is Hollywood Park, a memoir, and it's by Michael Gillette. And now we're going to hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Daughter of the Bone Forest by Jasmine Skye. Bone familiar Rosie spends most of her days in the Bone Forest, hiding her powers to avoid conscription by the Witch King's army. But when she saves the life of Princess Shaw, she's offered the chance to attend the prestigious school Witch Hall. 
and at which hall Rosie finds herself embroiled in political games she doesn't understand. Shaw wants Rosie as a partner to help lead the coming war. Meanwhile, all Rosie wants is to stay out of trouble, but she can't really deny her attraction to Shaw. So the question is, will Rosie give in to her destiny or will the Bone Forest call her home once and for all? Daughter of the Bone Forest by Jasmine Skye is for all the magic school lovers. This immersive magic school is full of witches and familiars. It's also a queer normative fantasy world with a sapphic slow burn romance like we love. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Daughter of the Bone Forest by Jasmine Skye for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing. So this book I'm about to tell you about might be the next book talk, darling. It's a high octane fantasy adventure filled with risk, romance, action, and sweet vengeance. In it, there are five liars who have five agendas, but only one target. So in Five Broken Blades from author Mae Corlin, the five most dangerous liars in the land have been mysteriously summoned to work together for a single objective, which is to kill the cruel God King June. Each has tasted bitterness, from the hired hitman seeking atonement to the lovely assassin dreaming of freedom, to even the prince exiled for his own crimes. This is a high-stakes game of treachery where the vengeance is sweet, the secrets are delicious, and each page deepens a journey that will keep you guessing until the very end. This also has themes of friendship, found family. You got a little bit of everything in this. Make sure to check out Five Broken Blades, and thanks again to Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, Patricia, what do you have for me? For my next book, I have This Is What America Looks Like, My Journey from Refugee to Congresswoman by Ilhan Omar. I confess I knew very little about Ilhan Omar's story, and I was super excited to read this book. I listened to this in audiobook, and also I listened to Fairest, which I talked about at the top of the show. Um, I listened to that in audiobook, and I really enjoy hearing a person tell their own story in their own voice. Ilhan Omar is the first African refugee, the first Somali-American, and one of the first Muslim women elected to Congress. In this memoir, she really opens up about her whole story, and it's quite a ride. She says early on in the book that she learned, your today does not determine your tomorrow, and this is definitely one of the overarching themes. We learn right away that Ilhan Omar is a fighter. Not only, like, she stands up for what she believes in and won't back down from an argument, But literally, as a kid and young adult, she would flat out get in physical fights. People underestimated her because she was so tiny, so they thought they could bully her or bully other kids near her, but she was not having it at all. She was also raised in a family where everyone's voice was heard equally, regardless of age or gender. This cultivated a fearlessness in her that continues to serve her, especially in her role as a congresswoman. One of my favorite quotes from her grandfather, I think it was, was, if you don't fit in anyway, you might as well do what you want. She was eight years old when civil war broke out in Somalia, and she tells the terrifying stories of her family being attacked and having to leave their home in Mogadishu and be separated and like travel separately. And she was only a child. 
and not knowing if she was ever going to meet up with her family again. And they eventually made their way to Kenya, where they lived in a refugee camp. And she does eventually tell her experience finally coming to America and living in Virginia. And the only English she knew when she got to the U.S. was uh, the word hello and the phrase shut up. Eventually, her family moved to Minneapolis, where there's a large Somali population, and there she started high school. One of the pieces of her story that I really appreciated hearing about was her feeling pushed away from her religion when she was like a teen and in her 20s, and then rediscovering how Islam fits into her life and deciding to wear a hijab, not because other people want her to, but because it helps her feel grounded. It's really beautiful to read about and hear about in her own words. This book has a lot of fight and a lot of heart. To quote the author, My strength doesn't come from a lack of fear, but from an overwhelming sense of moral outrage. She's lost a lot of people close to her. She was coerced into a young marriage. She was and still is the target of a lot of hate for who she is and what she believes in. And yet this book ends with so much hope. The book is This is What America Looks Like, My Journey from Refugee to Congresswoman by Ilhan Omar, and I highly recommend it. Okay. My last pick is another young adult novel. That's three today, but they were just so good. I don't usually have that many, but I just wanted to talk about all of them. Uh, My last pick is Parachutes by Kelly Yang. Kelly Yang wrote Front Desk, which is one of the best middle grade novels I've read in the last few years. Absolutely love it. And the sequel is coming out this fall, so hooray for that. This is her first young adult novel. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, sometimes we underestimate teens, and sometimes I think when I read things like oh, teens do not talk like that, and they are not as smart as they are making them. But then you hear about Kelly Yang, who went to college at the age of 13 and law school at the age of 17. And again, yes, teenagers are that smart. Um, before I continue, I just want to give a content warning. I will mention sexual assault in the description of this book. It is very hard hitting, but it's so good. Parachutes, in this case, is a term for teenagers who are sent uh, to live in private homes in the U.S. uh, and go to school while their parents remain in Asia. And this is the case for Claire. She and her parents live in Shanghai. They are very, very wealthy, but she still feels like she is limited in what she can do there. And so her parents enroll her in high school in California. And so now she's suddenly in a new country and no one that she knows is there to guide her. And now Danny is a girl her age whose home Claire is living in. She is very unhappy that her mother decided to use one of the rooms in their home to let Claire live there. She didn't really have any say in it. Uh, And she's also really, really busy uh, at school. She's really good at debating and she is on the debate team. And that's what she thinks is going to get her into the best schools is her debating skills. And so Danny has a debate coach who offers to give her private lessons because he he tells her that, you know, he can help her definitely get into the schools that she wants. But uh, as they start to to study alone, her coach is very inappropriate towards her. Meanwhile, Claire has become friends with this cute boy who is also a quote unquote parachute at her school. And she's very happy how that relationship is going. But as time goes on, that too is not going to go well. Uh, So it's about how 
you know, they're dealing with these situations in their lives, um, like these two strangers who are living under the same roof uh, from two very different circumstances, but like some of their experiences are very similar. And, you know, what are they going to do? Like, are they going to speak up? You know, Danny, you know, tells her debate coach, you know, that she's going to say something, you know, if this continues, but, you know, he's like, it's it's your word against mine, you know, and, and Claire doesn't know what to do in this new relationship that she's in. It's a very realistic look at harassment and assault and victims uh, and the decisions that they face, and which is important for kids to to read about and everyone to read about. Um, so I applaud Kelly Yang's first YA novel. It is Parachutes, and it's awesome. For my last book, I have a YA book as well. And, you know, I find I prefer... YA fiction to adult fiction, because I think I figured it out a few years ago, which is sometimes adult fiction will just like drag at the beginning and start getting good maybe a third of the way into the book. But YA fiction, I feel like young adults aren't going to wait around for that nonsense. So it gets you right away. And I'm not patient enough for adult fiction sometimes. But this book is Out Now, Queer We Go Again, edited by Sandra Mitchell. This is a collection of queer YA stories by a variety of authors. And a lot of this, like overall, they're feel-good stories, which in my household right now, we are heavily consuming the feel-good queer YA stories. This book was thoughtfully put together and features a racially diverse range of characters that are multiple different flavors of queer. And there's a wide range of genre representation as well. There's a vampire story titled What Happens in the Closet by Caleb Rorick, and that had me literally <laughs> laughing out loud because of how awful the vampires are, and it's not because of the violence. But in the same story, I was cringing because of the awkwardness of being a teen and being gay and being a teen who is gay. And it was like, so, like, it was so awkward. Another story that has a nice balance is titled Lumber Me Mine by C.B. Lee. It has the rawness of a fresh breakup out of a toxic relationship with a person who was way manipulative. But then it also has a super swoon-worthy girl our lead character meets in Woodshop. And our lead character is avoiding the nutrition and household planning class because that's where her ex will be. So she takes Woodshop and she meets this really hot girl. And I really, really enjoyed this story. One of my favorite stories in the whole book is titled Victory Lap by Julian Winters. It is so sweet and I absolutely cried multiple times. And it's a short story. I would cry on one page, be fine for the next page, and then start crying all over again a paragraph later. So Luke Stone, our protagonist, is looking for a prom date with the help of his friends. We learn that Luke recently quit the cross-country team to help his dad out more at his dad's well-known barbershop. We also learn that Luke's mother had passed away not too, not too long before this story, and also that Luke hasn't come out to his dad yet. The story could totally be a recipe for disaster, but it is filled with so much goofy dad goodness, and I have a soft spot in my heart for dad jokes and also for really good dads, and there's just a really good dad in this story. One of the many things I appreciate about this whole collection is that the characters are also all along different points in their queer journeys. Like, some are already, like, well-established 
out gays and some are figuring things out still and some figure things out by the end of the story and some don't and that's okay. The story titled Floating by Tanya Bethaju features a neurodivergent main character and I really appreciated the inclusion of this beautiful story. Like there's just such a wide range of stories like the whole book was really good. There was a story that features LSD as one of the main points, a story including a few Greek gods, a story featuring a kitchen witch, which is another one of my most favorites in the books, um, aliens, selkies, dystopian futures, and yes, many of the stories also feature non-cisgender main characters. Each story in the book was a winner. I recommend reading Out Now, Queer We Go Again, edited by Sandra Mitchell. All right! Those are our new books, our awesome new books. The world is a terrible place outside right now, but I feel like the future looks great, you know, when you look at the books that are coming out. And was that sappy? That was kind of right. sappy. It's, it's, really, it's really late for me here. <laughs> <laughs> and the caffeine is wearing off. Um, so those are our new books. What are you going to read next? I'm working on the hilarious The Order of the Pure Moon Reflected in Water by Zen Cho. All right. And I am going to pick up The Once and Future Witches by Alex E. Harrow as soon as we are finished with the show. It is the new book from the author of The Ten Thousand Doors of January. And all I know is that it takes place in the late 1800s and it's about uh, suffragist witches which is really all you need to know, I think. Ooh. So I'm excited about that. And that is it for us this week. Thank you to our sponsors. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Patricia is on Twitter and Instagram at the info file. I mostly hang out on Instagram at friends and comes alive. As much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.